You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Good morning, 602 Club! Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, I just had to. As as we're recording this uh, episode of the 602 Club, it doesn't normally happen in the morning, uh, but uh, because of crazy holiday schedules, that's when we could get to this episode so we could get you the final episode of 2022. And I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing. And with me, as she is every single week, Navi Warrior, Christy Morris. Hello, and thank you so much. Uh, lovely to be back and to talk about, um, you know, my fellow reef people. Oh, I feel yes, like I should yes. have a little more interesting name with some clicks in it or something. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, uh, <laughs> you're looking very green today. Uh, and uh, Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I know Kermit the Frog would be, uh, you know, really excited. Uh, so Because it's not easy being green. It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> but now I think it is because we've got more green people. Uh, but uh, before we dive into everything, we just want to thank everybody who has listened over the years. We really appreciate all of the support. And um, yeah, we're just really excited. This, this year we're bringing to a close, but we already have a great lineup coming up for you in 2023. Also, uh, if you would like to help out our show, we would really appreciate uh, you doing a few things for us. One, we'd love your follow on social media. We've got at the 602 Club on Twitter. And then, of course, we're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. We'd love to talk with you and interact with you over there. It's a lot of fun. We we try to keep it interesting with news going on in the business. Of course, we'd like doing polls and everything. We've actually got a poll out right now as we're recording uh, talking about the way of water and what you thought of it, uh, all those type of things. Um, so yeah, please do that. Uh, you can also uh, help us out by sharing the show with friends. Um, you know, Tell people about the 602 Club. Uh, word of mouth is one of the best ways to grow a podcast, and that also works on social media. So Please share our episodes on social media or just follow us there and interact with us. That definitely helps. And then uh, if you really like the show and uh, you're listening to this uh, somewhere where you get podcasts, wherever that is, please just subscribe and that way you'll get the podcast episodes as soon as they drop. And we would love the gift of a review from you over on Apple Podcasts. And so go over there, give us a review, give us a rating, and then we'll read that out on the show. Uh, we really appreciate everybody who has already done that, uh, but it's still one of the best ways, absolute best ways after, you know, I've been podcasting since 2012, and it's still one of the best ways to grow podcasts is podcast reviews. Um, and last but not least, of course, you can find us all over the place. Uh, like trek.fm you can see all of the shows we're doing you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm 
You can also join the Babel Conference, which is a place to talk to listeners from all over the world about all of the shows that are happening here on the network. And we'd love for you to do that and interact with you there. And you can also go to our contact section on the website and send us an email if you like. Last but not least, uh, Christy and I have been talking about this a lot because we're really excited. We're going to be diving in to Patreon a little bit more and giving back more to you guys. And so one of the things we're going to do here at the end of the year is we're going to be recording a end of year review. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of this year, not just mm-hmm. uh, movies, but we'll be talking, I'm sure, television, maybe books, music. I mean, it's going to be free ranging. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a completely different format than we do here. It's going to be a lot more laid back. I think everybody's going to enjoy it. And we're going to keep doing that throughout the year uh, coming up in 2023. So you're going to get bonus content you can't get anywhere else other than patreon so you'll want to join patreon.com slash trek fm you can become part of our team and you can get that bonus content and you can also make sure that this content keeps coming to you each and every week so of course christy we are back to pandora and we just recently got an opportunity to to see the original avatar and we talked about it uh, this year as they had re-released it to get everybody ready for coming back to Pandora in the first place. And so it's been 13 years, though, since the movie had been out. And I am kind of wondering, were you excited about the possibilities of going back to Pandora? Did you feel like after the first movie that you were wanting a sequel and... Was it one of those things where you thought, oh, you know, maybe a sequel would be great, but, you know, after 13 years, you're like, oh, oh, we're doing this again? Um, so I, I'm just kind of wondering where you were coming into this. Yeah, I was definitely of the viewpoint of I didn't feel that we needed a sequel, um, which I think is kind of a strength for a movie if it can be completely contained into one story and mm-hmm. doesn't... Um, just leave itself open and some things too much unanswered. Um, I think it's a good thing when they're able to contain it into one film. But um, I think here they do surprise me a little bit with, um, although it's been so long since the first film came out, I wasn't initially super excited about another one or, or thought that it needed one Um, being surprised at, um, the way it felt new again, you know, it, it it was, it was nice either way to get to go back to the world. I will say, like I said, last time, um, flight of passage is one of my favorite rides at animal kingdom or at Disney world period. So, um, I do already like the world, but I was definitely interested to see where the story would go and if it would go somewhere different. Yeah. I mean, I think in many ways you pretty much summed up how I felt, Okay. You know, I mean, I think everybody knows I, 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 if you listen to our episode, uh, you know, the movie, it was a a visual feast, but I think it was, uh, a narrative desert. Um, you know, it, it wasn't, there wasn't really anything there that I felt like was breaking ground, um, when it came to storytelling and, you know, visuals can only get you so far. Um, and, and, you know, I think especially for the original Avatar, having got a chance to revisit it in the theater in IMAX 3D, you know, 
it confirmed for me that, yeah, I mean, I might have never seen it at home, but that was the right choice. This The movie is meant to be seen on a massive screen and with, yeah. you know, the 3D immersion. And you just can't recreate that at home uh, unless some for some reason, you know, you're uh, independently wealthy and have your own IMAX screen at your house. Um, this is just <laughs> not going to, you know, it's just not going to be the same. So coming into this, I would say I was very skeptical about the idea that this would be better or that I would really enjoy it. Um, but I'm I'm going into it willing to it to surprise me. You know, I'm willing for uh, it to prove me wrong. I, I, I feel that way pretty much about every movie I see in the theater. Um, you know, I'm I'm always open to, to saying, yeah, I was I was wrong. So I'm, I'm going to be really fascinated through our conversation to see where we both end up uh, throughout that. But so one of the things that the film does is that as time goes by, and it did for all of us, it also mm-hmm. has on Pandora. And we are legitimately a decade, a little over a decade since, you know, Jake and Navi had had helped kick off the humans from the planet. And now he and Atiri have a family. Um, and, of course, uh, humans are back um, because they weren't going to stay away. If, if, if this was going to continue to be a series, you know, we, we have to have, uh, I think, some kind of villain. We have to have some kind of antagonism for our characters. And so coming back, there's a lot of things that have have changed obviously they have a family um we find out that earth is dying um that they do humans now want to make pandora basically home uh and they're also hunting the tolkens i they're not tolkens but the toolkins i think it's the tulkun tulkun yes there you go the tulkun i like tolkens though um tulkun <laughs> uh, which are basically whales uh and they're harvesting their brain uh, enzymes that are anti-aging remedies for humans. They they basically they say in the movie they stop aging, uh, it, it just in its tracks, which is kind of incredible. So, I guess um, coming back, what were some of the things that uh, what stood out to you about the way things have changed? I guess the new reason that humans are kind of now here at Pandora. Apparently, we no longer need an obtainium. Uh, they don't even. I can't even remember if they really even give this a name um, that we get from the Tulkuns. But uh, how I, did this feel like? You know, we were talking about is this a, a legitimate reason to be back here on Pandora? I think overall that reason made sense to me. You know, I, I think in general in society in real life we talk about all the time needing to preserve our resources and you know, hoping that we're not going to eventually need to move planets. Um, So, you know, let's hope that that never becomes a reality for us for real. But here, that is a reasonable thing that they would want to be doing, because we're talking about Earth in the most extreme sense in the future. Um, The thing that kind of bothered me was that other than that piece, I felt like um, there were some things that didn't really make sense. Um, you know, that, for example, the general being back, 
I felt like that was a little bit of a weak way to wrap up his story when it felt like it was really already done before. They're just bringing him back and retelling the same storyline there with him being the villain again. So I felt like they could have created a new villain and gone a different route with that part of the story than needing to just completely retell the same thing. I mean, other than him being in a different body, um, it was the same person. So that annoyed me. I felt like, what, do people just not die anymore? (laughs) We're just always going to bring them back with their memories in a different body. Um, And then also by that point, do you really need to call the movie Avatar anymore if most of the people that we're dealing with now are permanently Navi people? They're not actually humans using avatars as much anymore. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that. I guess in, um, you know, with with the colonel and his group, you know, they they're not avatars, but they they're using, you know, bodies that have been grown and they've basically been permanently placed in those bodies, and so they're not quite avatars, but they're they're not quite what we would consider, especially in the first movie. You know, the way that Jake became whole as a Navi was through Pandora itself uh, and right like being born exactly give the planet basically giving him the the gift of being transformed into um, his avatar so that Mm -hmm. he is one and whole and you know these these people it's it's still much more scientific process so they're clones. Um, they're ba- yeah, basically they're clones. Uh, with you know all of the the memories up to whatever point those memories have been tr- could be transferred there. So some are more true versions of themselves than others. You know, and so mm-hmm. um, yeah, I you know I think the you know I love the fact that time has passed. I think. That's something that was really smart. Um, and, and I think it's one of the things where, you know, when a lot of time has passed between films, not mentioning that that's happened at all is is usually not a great idea. I think of like, uh, you know, I know a lot of people don't love uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I do. And I also love that the movie acknowledges the fact that pa- time has passed. The characters have gotten older and, you know, so that's that's something that works here. You know, I also think that it allows uh, for the movie to show, you know, how Jake has evolved in, in his leadership role with the Navi, uh, the, the way him and Atiri have grown their family, um, the way their family has had an impact just, a, uh, you know, on the who the Navi are and how they act, you know, even where their home is now because the world uh, their home tree has been destroyed. Uh, you know, I think all that stuff was was really nice. Um, and so I, I think all that story stuff really works. Um, I think it's too at the beginning, giving us time to like spend time with them as their family is helpful uh, yeah. so that you care about their kids, which is really important because this is kind of a generational story, you know, um, it, Cameron talked about the idea of how something like Godfather series is is as much about the Godfather 
Marlon Brando is it is about his son, you know, and so and and the family element and this movie is definitely working with that as well. So, you know, I didn't have. We'll we'll definitely talk about the colonel and his return uh, for sure, because that's a huge part of this movie. But there were just a couple of things that seemed interesting to me and. I kind of wish that the movie had given us just a little bit more background and detail on this because um, there's a lot going on in the movie. So that's mm-hmm. definitely a thing that I think we might come back to is maybe a possible criticism. But why would humanity want to live on Pandora when they can't breathe the air? You know, if if humanity can travel the stars at this point, there have to be other planets where the atmosphere is more breathable uh and right like you know couldn't they keep searching till they found the right one so i think that's something that really was strange to me um and and then it it also kind of seems strange that okay so unobtainium was the big reason for us being there and apparently it was you know an energy source for humans on earth that was really powerful and really helpful but now it's all about stopping aging on a dying planet, which that seems very strange, um, you know, uh, that that would be something that, that people who are on a dying planet would care about. Um, and, and again, I just I wish there had been a little bit more to that because, yeah, I mean, the idea of finding like the fountain of youth basically in a whale's brain uh is uh you know interesting but i'm not sure you know it 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 feels like a story point that's thrown out there um but then it's never really expounded upon at all to to make sense i i does like i guess i my question to you is does that make sense to you as to why that feels strange to me it does make sense to me because I think that they could have at least connected the dots better so that it didn't feel like this was just thrown in for no reason I kind of made sense with it to myself of, you know, where they mention about babies not being able to endure cryo. Um, Maybe their way of enabling people to travel further to other planets is to stop aging first so that you don't age. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. As fast when you're in cryo or when you get out of cryo i guess because cryo is pausing you aging anyway um so that's kind of how i defended it or that it could be more of just this is thrown in as a commentary about how that matters so much to our society and reality right now everything is about stopping aging you know at least for women it's all about you know what plastic surgery can you get what makeup or moisturizer can you use to make your wrinkles disappear and Mm -hmm look 20 for the rest of your life so maybe that's why yeah yeah i think that that is a good point the idea that okay if if we can't you know transport children specifically or or babies uh to a new planet you know you have to be a certain age to be in cryo that makes sense i think it's one of those things where you know maybe just a couple more lines would have been really helpful there just to make that um you know, better because I, I think yeah. that's a great point. A hundred percent. And I kind of had thought about that. It's just one of those things where 
the movie doesn't make it explicit enough to really, I think, make sense. And I do think part of that, and I'll probably come back to this a few times, is there's a lot going on in the film. And there's a lot of focuses happening between what's going on with the colonel, what's going on with the rest of the human colony that they're building there, what's going on with all of the new Navi that we meet. It's not just Jake and his, his family, which that's a lot. Um, you know, yeah, but it's also, you know, what's happening with, uh, Kiri, which what's happening with, uh, spider, you know, like there's just all, just a lot happening. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think one of the beauties of the, the, obviously the avatar series, and I think one of the most important messages, and to me, it's been something that I, I found that's been built in the series Yellowstone, uh, as well, which is this kind of repudiation of this consumeristic nature that we see that humanity has a huge problem with, I think, these days of really just consuming our planet and people and things uh, instead of um, living with the land. We abuse it. And, you know, I think one of the things that this movie does a great job of is is showing how, you know, the Navi live in, in harmony with their world they've they've learned ways to mold it around the natural flow um again this is where you know you see there was just an episode uh, in this latest season of yellowstone where they talk about how the land that this massive ranch is on basically looks the same as it did a thousand years ago why Mm. because you know these these ranchers, they live with the land, you know, they, they, uh, they take care of it. They, they maintain the forest. They move the cattle, uh, through different pastures. So they're not overworking pastures, you know, like all the things you have to think about to maintain, uh, and to live in harmony with the natural flow. And so to me, that was one of the beauties of the movie is that, you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, how it's so much better to live with um, than to abuse, and to me, uh, I really, I really like that, and I think it's a it's an important thing, and it's definitely something that the series, I think, continues to hit on uh, throughout the second film, and and maybe I think this movie does it in a slightly less preachy way than the first movie, um, because I think it shows more than tells. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think that they do such a good job here of using more visual cues to show you what's going on with that and how the difference between the Navi and the um, humans from Earth use the land that they live on. And that ultimately, if you want your new home to last, unlike what you did with Earth, you have to not overwork the land. You know, that you have to learn how, for example, certain plants work so that you know you're giving them time to produce more plants before you just overpluck them or something like basil, I'm thinking of. You can't pluck all the leaves off a basil plant to cook with and then expect it to suddenly sprout more. Um, So that's kind of what I think of it. But yeah, I think we're exactly on the same page with that. I think it's a much more digestible message and not as preachy and they do definitely show more than tell 
Um, especially the scene where even just the ships that are landing toward the beginning of the film and it's showing how they're burning down all the forest around them. And it's like, that was just them landing. They haven't even done anything else yet. <laughs> um, you know, they couldn't have found a better way to do that or a better place that was already clear, like a rock. <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I think uh, that's an excellent point. Um, the way in which, you know, humanity does tend to do things, it's it's basically shoot now and ask questions later. You know, that that's that's yeah. kind of one of our, our our hallmark traits, you know, and um, and our um, uh, I think, too, you know, uh, when, when the idea of talking about the consumeristic nature of humanity, I think one of that. I think one of the themes that goes along with that, which we see, again, just shown, not told to us, but you can clearly see, is our impatience, you know, our um, our need for things to happen immediately. You know, uh, the, the new general in charge talks about the idea of how uh, these uh, worker drones that they have can put up a building in six days, you know. Um, everything has to be done now, now, now. And which makes sense too when you're coming from a planet that's dying, but you're also not learning any of the lessons from what caused your planet to die in the first place. And you're right. just repeating the same mistakes. And, you know, uh, I think repeating history is a big problem that we see, you know, and that's that's part of what I think you know, obviously the Avatar series is, is trying to get us to, to be able to comprehend is that, you know, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And, and you are asking to just repeat it here on this planet if you don't do something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think, I think that's, again, you know, two really big, strong thematic elements right here uh, that we're talking about, which is one of the things that that makes this um I think a better movie than the first movie already just because a lot of these thematic elements have are as you mentioned we're showing not telling and mm-hmm. that's what makes better for a better film and there was another piece that I wanted to add to this is just the part of the overall story that I thought was really interesting was um a friend of mine actually said, and, and I don't necessarily feel completely this way, but that it almost feels like cultural appropriation um, because it's like saying that rather than humanity just coming to the planet themselves, initially they started by stealing bodies <laughs> of the, you know, trying to look and act like the Navi um, rather than just work with them and learn from them themselves. Um, which I thought was interesting, an interesting way of looking at it. But also I kind of see that in the sense of this is very similar to talking about colonization of like the Native Americans. And I felt that especially with the scene where you're seeing Spider watch them extract the enzymes from the whale um, that he says, so this is all you killed it for and you just leave the rest and waste it. 
and that that was something that we know from history that Native Americans never did. They used every part of the animal. If it, especially an animal as big as a whale, if they're going to kill it, they're going to make sure that they're making the most of that and then also not just leaving a mess. So I felt like that also is a big piece about wastefulness and about um, living in harmony with the land is that you're showing it respect also by using things appropriately. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's so interesting because you mentioned that whole idea and what you do see is, you know, when you think of uh, the original Avatar film and the, the scientists who were there, you know, the reason for them to be in the Avatar bodies is because it did give them the opportunity to actually be able to live as one of the Navi and learn from them and to to understand them in a way that you can't um, if, you know, uh, you are just so set apart. And their mm-hmm. goal was to to learn to live in concert with them, right? To learn and mm-hmm. to live in harmony with them the way that the Navi lived in harmony with the rest of Pandora. And, of course, there is that whole other side of the film, which is that you know, especially in the first movie, you see that the, the the corporate aspect of like we're we're here to basically rape this world of its natural resources uh, for our own personal gain and uh, for our own benefit. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's the difference, you know, and um there's uh, i think all of those uh things are are so important because again i think it really does come back down to are you going to um abuse the land are you going to live with it and mm-hmm. are you just going to consume things which leads to just death in the end because once you finish consuming it's all gone right um yeah. or are are you really going to find a way to um find harmony um and and balance you know mm-hmm. and so uh yeah you know that's that's absolutely i think a, a part of of all of this um is is the way in which you know you think of you know again history uh, repeating history i think that's a big a re- mm-hmm. big part of this so one of the things that i absolutely adored about this film christy and i think the theme that i i could not be more surprised in, and I think the best theme in the film is is about fatherhood. And, you know, Jake says a few times in the movie, a father protects. It's what gives him meaning. And I feel like it has been forever and a day since a movie has celebrated the goodness of fatherhood and the importance of its role in the life of children, uh, in the life of the family, in the life of community. Uh, and I was blown away by um, how this movie did that because it didn't do it in a way where, you know, Jake is not a perfect man uh, and he's not a perfect father, but he's trying. None of the fathers here are perfect, but we see the variations of good fathers to bad fathers, right? And I, I, I just love the fact that we were going to celebrate the goodness of fatherhood and its importance. And 
I, I thought they did it phenomenally. But again, by just showing us instead of like giving us a big speech about how important they no, they just show us how important they are. And that actually came from James Cameron being a father and reflecting on, okay, let's say that Jake does now have children with Natiri. How is he going to behave differently? You know, I, I love that Cameron in particular talks about before when Jake had no ties to any family or person that he was in a relationship with. He was more of a risk taker with his own life and with things around him. You know, he would jump off of the one animal to another or, you know, go trekking through the forest, maybe a little unsafely jumping from tree to tree. Whereas now he's much more conscious of I need to make sure that I'm still here to protect my family. So I liked that aspect as well. But I definitely see what you're saying about fatherhood being such a theme throughout this whole movie and that that was a really great new addition to the story that we didn't have in the first movie because obviously Jake wasn't there yet. Um, right. Yeah. So I, I do like, too, that they didn't just give him one child that you know, they're kind of following in the footsteps of someone who they don't really have a reason to need to limit the number of children they have. Um, and also that maybe if you don't, that that's the natural way that things might go is to have three or four. Um, and then they've also got these adopted children with Kiri and Spider, which I thought was a nice touch as well of you can have found family just as much as but blood-related family. No, I I 100% agree with you. I, I love that you brought up the idea of of the the adopted family and how important uh, that is. And, you know, the idea of um, you know being a good adoptive father uh, is mm -hmm. is really important. A good adopted mother and how important adoption is in general. And I, I think you know one of the things that uh, that we see clearly is that. I think especially Jake, he is more accepting of Spider, especially as his son, than Natiri is. Um, you know, for her, there is that that species difference, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, she, she still has that, which, you know, again, with her experience, it makes sense. But Jake doesn't, right? And I think the the interesting thing is to see that it is Jake's influence and his portrayal of goodness, which makes Spider make the decision he makes at the end, right? Mm -hmm. Um, to to save his own father, which turns out, you know, we find out is is the Colonel, and so I think that's really interesting. But I also think one of the things that's uh, and and you know you can tell that Cameron is a father uh, because the struggle of every father every parent is to allow their child to be who they are and to guide them, but not try to force them to be just like they are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's obviously something that we see Jake and Atiri struggle with, especially with their second son is that, you know, Oh, we, we expect you to just be like this, you know, and some children more than others will mimic their parents. You know, they will be more like their parents. Other children are going to be the complete opposite of who their parents are. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Um, right. You know, and so I think, again, 
there's a lot of nuance in the film in that way. And again, we do a great job, I think, of, of showing more than telling the, the struggle of what it is to raise children uh, and how difficult it is. Uh, you know, I have plenty of, of friends who are parents of teenagers, you know, and, and working through that in their lives now, watching them try to do that. You know, how do we encourage a child to be the best version of themselves, uh, but also to to train them well, um, you know, to to um, guide them well, you know, help them stay on a path that's going to lead to um, better things in their life and 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 less harm. So, I, you know, mm-hmm. again, all of that I think is really beautiful. And so, fatherhood is a big part part of this movie. But I also, you know, think on top of fatherhood, we this this whole movie is about the importance of family. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think, again, we don't see that in our world today of people really celebrating the importance of family and how important that is with, um, you know, in the community. You know, the, the strength of the Navi is there. I would say maybe service to each other. Like they talk about the shame of being useless and how you don't want that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, no, I think that's a good point that, that the idea of selflessness. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we've obviously talked a, a million times on this show about. Um, I also th- I think the uh, way in which the Navi prioritize family, mm-hmm. you know, they, they prioritize the family union, um, mother, father, children. Um, the, those are those are people that are looked after. Um, they also, of course, you know, we see, uh, them looking after, uh, others that are not their own children wise. Right. Um, especially with the Sully's. So, but yeah, I think that's absolutely, uh, an important thing that this movie is trying to get across with the idea of family and raising children, which is, yeah, we are training our children to help make the world that they live in a better place by being productive members of society, which yes. that's a very countercultural message today. Right. <laughs> yeah. I felt like they showed that so well, especially the scene where they're joining the reef people for the first time um, and trying to be um, as polite as they can and convince the reef people to accept them as part of their group. Um, I love that they include that line of we wouldn't want you to have the shame of being useless, that that's something that's so valued to them above everything else is that everyone has a role to play here and we're all one team and we all want to be useful to the rest of the group. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, isn't that a really important thing in the sense that you show love to others by being able to be of service, right? Right. That it's not just about taking. It's about being mm-hmm. able to give back as well. And and I think that's an important message in this film. So, uh, no, I definitely agree with you there. Um, on the the idea of kind of family and the struggles that we see, I think there is kind of a failure to communicate 
uh, between generations and between different peoples. I think, um, you know, we definitely see this with Jake's second son, Lawak, and we talked a little bit about this, but he is not the perfect son, quote unquote, right? You know, he's mm-hmm. he's the one who um, is different than Jake and kind of has his own way of thinking about things and doing things. Um, again, it, it's not necessarily something that's wrong, but he's he's just it, he feels more rebellious, but not all of his choices are bad. And some of this, I think, you know, with with the way in which he befriends the Tulkan who had broken the the rule of the Tulkan of pacifism, um, clearly kind of shows that there are different perspectives that can help lead to better solutions to problems. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this movie is is clearly showing that, you know, yeah, sometimes you have to fight back to defend your home. Um, you know, you, you have to think about things differently. And I, I love that idea of um, part of that just comes from people thinking they they know something and that it's only one way. Um, rather yes. than the idea of perspectives. And I guess, you know, we see that with the the Reef uh, people's chief, you know, talking to Loak, you know, about why um, that Tulkan is, you know, banished and that there's only one way to view things. Um, and it, again, it really kind of comes down to that idea of like perspective that we kind of get like with Star Wars, especially. Oh, yeah. And it's funny, too, how much to me that mimics some things you see in Pocahontas, for example. Um, It's sort of the way that the family of Pocahontas looked at John Smith. They're like, you know, Pocahontas, are you kidding me? You decided to get together with that guy. They're saying to Loak, you decided to bond with that Tulkun. Um the worst one of them all, you know, mm-hmm. it, it shows that they are kind of rightfully so afraid of adapting. But what they really needed to do was listen and see if maybe there was something they weren't seeing and some some way that they should adapt that would help them because that Tulkun in particular ended up being the one that really helped them in battle later because he had experienced that kind of thing before whereas the other ones had run away he had stayed and tried to defend the navi that were there so i thought that that was a really interesting way to build on this moment as well yeah i think that's a great way to put it you know the idea of listening you know mm-hmm. a, a lot of times we're not willing to hear what people have to say and we're not willing to hear any other perspective than our own and that does not mean that uh, we will immediately or we will even agree with what we're hearing. But to actually give something a a hearing, mm-hmm. you know, that that's something that this movie, I think, shows. And, you know, one of the one of the things about Avatar itself, the whole idea of I see you, right, is the idea to see who a person is and truly who they are and to 
find a way to accept them in that. Um, it doesn't mean that none, you're not trying to, you know, help people do things wisely or that that's not what it's getting at. But the idea of just to actually see a person and then part of that is to actually listen to a person, you know, yes. to hear a person, um, to give them a fair hearing, I think is, is something that's so important. And so, you know, this, this movie has that in it, uh, this, this, this lack of communication and lack of understanding and lack of hearing, which, I mean, I, is that not one of the biggest issues in our world? Right? Always. <laughs> Failure to communicate. Yes. Or to be willing to listen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier uh, being back from the dead. Uh, and that the colonel is back. And you talked a little bit about the struggle of that choice. And so I definitely want to dive into that that choice for sure, because obviously it plays the biggest part of this movie. I mean, it's the impetus for, you know, uh, the Stullies having to move to the reef uh, and learn a new way of life is because they are being hunted uh, by the colonel. And so does it work for you? Does it or or, or do you wish that they had found an, a new villain? I end up letting it work well enough for me um, that I, you know, go along with it because I, I feel like, you know, how else would you have had as much of a compelling villain for Jake to square off with in the end? Um but then part of me wonders, too, if they could have just used Spider in a different way to replace him as the villain. And then at this point have said, you know, Spider is old enough to be taking on his father's role, possibly, or at least be like a second in command um, and be the one who needs to fight Jake because he's carrying on the vendetta from his father, the colonel, um, that would make sense. You know, something that's sort of a, a timeless theme of this saga, you know, is what you would need for it to be big enough for Jake to come up against. But I think that it just feels a little weak that they're just reiterating the same story they did before. Yeah, I do think that this is probably the biggest struggle for me with the film, the way in which, you know, we do bring the colonel back. It's also, I mean, it, it's interesting because what we're seeing there, it, and especially with, with Spider being his son who had been left on Pandora and then raised by the Sullys, it, it, it's, it's Star Wars-ish, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, the colonel is Darth Vader in this series. You know, he seems like he's unredeemable and that there's no hope for him. Uh, to be a better person or to ever choose anything different. And in the end, we see that that's not the case. Because when mm -hmm. faced with the choice of his own son dying, who he says he has no care for, he relents. And then is saved by that own son as well. And even though his son chooses the Navi and the Sullies, 
as his family, he won't let his father die. Mm -hmm. And so there is this connection. And I think that that is one of the things that I, I guess makes the series somewhat interesting is because are you going to allow the, like, I mean, he's a, you just want this guy to die the whole time because he's just so evil. And yet there is that moment at the end with his son and it makes you wonder, okay, is this whole thing about working towards the redemption of this character and finding a way to take what you thought was unredeemable and make it redeemable, which is, again, quite a countercultural thing these days. And because we just don't talk enough about the idea of that redemption is possible, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so... I don't know. I I guess I'm. I, it, it's it's somewhat of a mixed bag for me, but at the same time, I find myself fascinated as to what they could do in a, a future film because of um, making these choices with him having a son, making these choices with him, uh, you know, choosing to not let that son die. Um, and actually showing that there is some humanity in this character that you didn't think was there. I mean, I think legitimately the, 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 the strangest thing is, is you do feel like he is just Darth Vader level evil. And yet when faced with the choice that he has, that's not the case. And, and to me, that's, um, that's kind of fascinating. And it makes him a more multi-dimensional character you know i mean that's always more interesting than someone who's completely black and white they're either completely evil or they're completely good it's like no the reality is that most of us are in between we're all shades of gray right <laughs> so yeah I, I like that they change it in that way at least and mm-hmm. do show that he gives gives up um kiri ultimately because he does realize he cares about spider and I like what you mentioned as well about Spider learning from Jake from spending all this time with their family about what is right and what is wrong. And that even though he doesn't want to spend his life with the colonel, he couldn't just let him die. That he knew that that would be wrong. So he saves him even though he ultimately chooses not to be with him. So I do think that now maybe there's an, another interesting way they can go with the story of them in the future because they left him alive and with this change of heart. And you can tell that it's a tortured relationship, that the colonel still wants Spider to come with him, even though Spider doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I mean, again, I, I'm with you in, in the sense that I do find myself to be, I I don't know, torn about the choice of bringing him back. And I I felt, Mm -hmm. I I do think that I found myself uh, frustrated, I guess, uh, throughout some of the movie, especially more of the beginning of the movie, um, 
because that choice did seem to be what I would consider and call lazy. Mm-hmm. But as the movie went on, I was surprised in the way in which they were able to make it more interesting. And of course, by the end of the film, I, I think they they definitely chose uh, a path to which made it most interesting um, by, like you said, I think make giving the character dimension. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, if there's anything about the Avatar series, um, especially with the first movie, is that there was a there was a true lack of dimension. And I think that what we've been given here is we're we're actually adding dimension uh to the series overall and you know to do that with i think maybe the worst offender of the series when it comes to the lack of dimension is mm-hmm. really um it's it's a good choice and and i, I think i was surprising because I, I wasn't expecting this i in all honesty i don't find cameron to be a very dimensional character writer um and Mm -hmm. there are still some struggles that i have with that i think in this film but uh, i think he was able to find some and to be able to add some and to me that's pretty awesome so i Mm -hmm. you know i I give him uh i give him props for that that's i'm i'm glad that's the case there was one minor thing though um just going back to some things that maybe I would have changed. I do wish at least with spider that they would have figured out something to do about him having a mask because they just don't really explain how he constantly always has enough air supply on him. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, That's a great point. That's a hundred percent. A great point. I like, does I he have some extras that he keeps at Sully's house? <laughs> mm hmm. I mean, he doesn't have like a, well, I guess he does have the the lab that he visits often because they've got Kiri's mother's body still in there. But yeah, I don't know. I just felt like that could have been explained a little better. Like, how does he just have this endless supply of air to be living and exploring everywhere all the time with the other Navi and be fine and be able to breathe? Yep. I 100% agree with you uh, in that. And so... So one of the most interesting, I think, returns uh, that we get uh, is the way in which Grace Augustine's character, uh, who's played by Sigourney Weaver, finds a way to return. I I found it completely unexpected um, in the sense that she doesn't really return, but she has a daughter named Kiri who had apparently been in her avatar body uh, before she died and was born (laughs) and uh, has been adopted by the Sullys and has a a very interesting and very strong connection with Ewa. Um, In fact, she might be the most in tune with Ewa of, of anyone that we see in the film. How did that work for you? Because in all honesty, I did not see that coming. I thought Grace was going to be the one character that was very easy to see return. And yet, um, 
that they don't go that route to bring her back like that. Uh, and so uh, I'm I'm fascinated to hear what you thought of that character and, and that idea. So it's funny. I, I certainly did not expect it as well. I think that maybe the introduction of Kiri could have been done a little better. I just feel like we don't still really have a good idea about how she came into existence. Although I will say in general, even though that's a question I'll always have, it's probably better overall that they don't go into how the Navi reproduce. <laughs> like you and I've talked well, I mean, about before. Obviously they can reproduce. It's, uh, you know, yeah. Jake and Tyr, uh, Jake and Atiri yeah. have uh, a lot of kids. So, <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you know, we only ever see people connect, quote unquote, with their hair or their tail. So yeah, which they do with I all sorts of animals, too, which is anyway. Yeah, let's yeah. The, the less said there, the better. <laughs> We're all connected. That's the point. Let's keep uh-huh. it PG. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow, um, really connected there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Super connected. Um, but, you know, I do think that it was cool as a different way to play on the idea of clones or um, defining what the difference is between being real Navi or being, you know, created in some other way. Um, They're really trying to blur that line, I guess. Um, But I did think that the jokes were funny about who the the father was. (laughs) You know, how the kids were like, I don't know, that guy's in every shot in her journal videos. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's a that's a really that is one of the most interesting things about this. And I, I 100% agree with you. So I find the character interesting. I find it well done. I, I thought that the idea of the way they, they brought, you know, Sigourney Weaver back to basically play her own daughter uh, the the voice is the same, uh, you know. They've they've made her sound younger, but you know she gets to play the character, and just the the idea that she had had you know a relationship with somebody that we don't know who it was, but that you know had given birth to Kiri as a, a as a child mm-hmm. is fascinating, uh, and and the idea that because of her. M- her mother's consciousness becoming part of Awa. Somehow that leads to Kiri having a, a much stronger connection with Awa. It's very, I mean, again, they're planting the seeds for some some very interesting things there. I, mm-hmm. I do uh, find myself to be in the same position with you. Previous criticism that comes back here. I think there's so much going on in the film. There's so many different storylines happening that we maybe don't get enough answers uh, that I think there could have been more with Kiri Mm -hmm. that would have been really nice. And I think would have been uh, welcome in the film just to get a few more answers to get a, a, a a little bit better understanding of this whole situation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I did, I, I did love, the way in which, though, Kiri and her connection and, uh, you know, because we, the Tulkuns also, we, we hear the scientists, the human scientists talking about them and, and how um, many pathways their brains have, how large they are, and, you know, that they are actually more intelligence 
more intelligent than humans. Um, they have a huge emotional reservoir. They have a massive amount of spirituality. Um, and I, I think that's something that's also kind of beautiful here with uh, the way in which Kiri is a reflection of somebody who sees the larger side of life, right? The the yeah. the the spiritual side of life. She's able to see that in a way that other people can't, um, and that is kind of beautiful. Especially, I feel like the world in which we live is a world which I think. You, you, you're either somebody who believes in science or you're somebody who um, believes in faith and that there's there's this dichotomy between the two as if they, they can't be one and the same. And I just really love the, the beauty of the way in which Kiri can actually see how those almost those two kind of connect, you know, that they're they're one and the same, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, and so I, again, I, I do feel like this is just a character that I, I wanted more explanation on and and more answers with because I found them to be a really beautiful and interesting character. And another place where I think the idea of we talked about family, she's adopted, you know, and, you know, especially Jake. And I, I think he does just such a great job of being a father to her. Um, and he does a better job of allowing her to be herself than he does with his sons uh Mm -hmm. you know where um you know her idiosyncrasies you know he he doesn't immediately um try to curb you know he tries to understand and i think that's one of the places where we kind of see him doing a great job of being a good father to her so yeah i'm with you i just I, i feel like this is a this was a really interesting character that i think just deserved more answers around and so you know, mm-hmm. if we do, I think he filmed the the second and the third movies back to back. So hopefully with that third movie, then I guess that's coming at least that we would get more answers for her uh, as a character because there still is a, a bit of um, a conundrum as to like, yeah, who's the dad and why mm-hmm. exactly does she have this, you know, connection with A1 and, and how is that going to play out in the future what is that going to mean for her especially since her connection is so strong it could possibly kill her um, because we see her have the seizure you know so all that I mean it's just mm-hmm. like there were a lot of questions raised and very few answers with her but you know I do like something that you brought up that I didn't realize I was thinking before and that's about how she really does represent the connection between the scientific and the factual and the spiritual because she has this awe for the mysteries of it that we still cannot fully understand. And that's where science leaves off. And there's that unexplainable essence that, for example, even in real life currently, we can't create life independently. We always end up having to start with something that already exists and mimic that. But still, there's a gap there between the science and the spiritual of not being able to create life on our own. Somehow that happens and we can't replicate it. Right. Yeah. We can't create out of nothing. Right. 
We only create with what has already existed. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not God. So no, I had to, no, it, that's, it's, uh, it's just really interesting to me. Um, and uh, again, this is a place where instead of being frustrated, I, I just find myself being very interested. And I do wish there had, I do th- I think that this is a place where there could have just been more focus um, mm-hmm. and uh, in the sense of finding a way to rein in some of the storylines. And so we talked a little bit about the idea of, you know, Sully and his family uh, going to live with the Reef people, which it introduces us to a whole new way of life uh, here on Pandora. We're not out of the forest. We're into uh, the the ocean and you know of course this gives us all the incredible underwater sequences that we get uh and it gives us new characters i think probably the biggest standout is probably kate winslet uh you know playing ronal and you know she is the wife of the chief uh she's also uh pregnant um she's a pivotal character she's also the spiritual leader for the the reef people uh, in this village and um i was i loved i this is a place where i I also wanted more of her character as well i loved the fact that she's like this pregnant warrior princess basically um i thought that was so cool and so empowering to show how important and powerful um women are especially those that are willing to bring life into the world um and um I just I thought that was so cool. And then also to hear that she broke Tom Cruise's underwater record by holding her breath for over seven minutes uh, in, fil- in a filming sequence was astounding. Um, we know how much work Tom Cruise puts into all of his stunts, uh, which was actually a, uh, a if, if you went and saw this in IMAX 3D, you got a special preview of one of the big stunts coming up in the new Mission Impossible movie, uh, which was in and super intense, uh, but yeah. So I, again, I, I I'm really inter- I'm fascinated to see where kind of you are with the Reef people and and all that we saw um, with them. Just um, to me, I mean, this is this was the movie in the sense of uh, just how beautiful and uh, incredible the the their way of life is, you know. Um. When they show how different species have to adapt to their environment in order to survive, and again, in a great way of showing not telling, by showing how their bodies are so different from the Navi of the forest, you know, that the Jake Sully and his family are built very elongated and lean and strong in different ways in order to get from tree to tree and mm-hmm. don't need to have bulk um, and, you know, um, fins and softer colors. You know, they need to blend in with the darker colors of the trees, whereas the reef people, you can see in every way that they've been designed, they're designed to work best in the water. They have sort of a fin on their tail they even talk about how they have bigger muscles but it's like well you need stronger muscles for swimming all the time um 
they show that their skin color is lighter because it matches the color of the water more. Um, and then also, even if you notice the way that their eyes blink is different. They talk about the difference even in Jake Sully and his family being um, everyone except Natiri um, freaks because they have some human features because obviously mm-hmm. they were born of some of that DNA. Um, so I like that difference as well thrown in there of um, it's not just species difference in that sense. There's some even um, modification going on. So I, I love that purely for the wildlife aspect of it, of like real life you see all the time. Obviously, monkeys versus fish would be a lot different. Um, so that was really cool. And I love that they then tell us about all of the stuff that Kate Winslet did with this character because seven minutes is a long time. And and this was free diving and it was, I believe, the first time she's ever done that much free diving. They had an instructor that had to be there for everyone. Um, and she, it's not like she's 20 anymore. I mean, I'm not saying she's old, obviously, but like she's more mature. This is harder as you age. So... I was really impressed by that. And I I do think that she does a great job of getting across that um, maturity and leadership of the character, you know, that they were more worried about her embracing them in their culture than they were about the chief. Yeah. I, uh, I think you're absolutely right. You, You know, she's a few years older than I am. So, and I can attest to the fact that the older you get, um, the harder it is to do things and it's uh, the harder (laughs) it is to learn things and, and to really, uh, begin to train your body to do those type of things is difficult. And so I, a hundred percent, you know, and, but I, I was, I'm like you, I think the beauty of seeing the way in which, uh, the different, uh, sex of, Navi have adapted to the places in which they live and then the way their bodies then have adapted to that is is very true and just the way that different human bodies have adapted to living in different uh, places in the world uh, and so I I love that I thought that that was really smart and again you know I, I know that when they had created this world that Cameron was very intent on having a lot of scientists to be a part of that and helping to explain and explore you know okay what the ecosystem of this planet would be like and then what that would mean for every creature that was shown and Mm -hmm. so uh, absolutely thought about that here with the reef people but you know i loved being able to see all of the other underwater life and the the way that they live their lives and um you know the the beauty of that I thought was was wonderful, and so it was a, a great addition, obviously, to the series, and of course, beautiful too. That uh, the way in which we saw them kind of begin to teach uh, the Sully family their ways, and um, being able to you know help them adapt their own bodies to you know being able to hold their breath longer and being able to ride the different sea creatures and all those kind of things was really beautiful so i i thought it was was great and it's one of the best parts of the movie which i guess leads me specifically into 
the production value of the film, which I think is one of the things that we talked about with the first movie. But this movie is one of the most immersive experiences that I've ever had. Um, if you saw the film in IMAX, it's in high frame rate, which means it's 48 frames per second, um, which I don't always love high frame rate uh, because it has an effect on our brains to smooth out the action to a point where we're not used to it. Um, I think in some places it really worked, and in some places I, I kind of struggled with the way that the lighting works with that as well. Some of the lighting choices I wasn't a huge fan of, mm. but I, this is, like the first Avatar film, this again sets the bar for what it means to have immersive and impressive CGI that is completely consistent throughout the entire film. And um, the fact that they worked on an entirely new um, performance capture system to do what they did underwater. Uh, I mean, it took them a year and a half to design that is incredible. So I think that technologically, this might be one of the most impressive films that we've ever seen just on that front. Yeah, I would say that's still the biggest strength of both films is the work put into the production value um, the attention paid to the detail of the animation itself. Um, they said, especially in marrying the live action to the um, computer generated mm -hmm. was really a particular focus, um, which I think you notice here. And I saw it in real D 3d. Um, and I do recommend seeing it in 3d either yes. way. Yep. I oh, think yeah. it does add a whole other level to the viewing experience that you don't get on 2d um and i like that they really make it a beautiful world to look at overall so that you know also with the addition of the faster frames per second that you feel like you're immersed and especially in the underwater scenes um that is something that is really hard to do and they did also do filming specifically in new zealand to be able to work with weta which I thought was great because we've seen how well that can help a movie like it has with the um, Hobbit films. So um, I think that or Lord of the Rings films, but Both, yeah, yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so I did really enjoy that part. I didn't notice as much about the lighting aspect. Um, I would say maybe only in the scene where the eclipse is going away or no, the eclipse is starting and the sun had just died. I think that was the only scene where I kind of noticed the lighting looking weird, but maybe it was also just intentional to show that it's suddenly like nighttime because of the eclipse. Anyway, um, overall, I think it looks visually stunning and that that's always its biggest strength and that maybe they do need to work a little bit more on some of those unanswered questions plot wise rather than it just being beautiful. But the production is almost perfect. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. That the only way to see this film is in 3D um, because that's where the effect comes from. And I guess a question I, I have for you on that is, I'm not, I'm not talking about the quality of the film, but it does seem like to me, this is a movie that's made specifically for the theater. 
and that 3D experience, especially if you're seeing it in an IMAX 3D where it's taking up the entire screen. So you're sitting in the theater with this massive screen and it it truly can just immerse you. Do you feel like this is a movie that you would, uh, again, I'm not talking about the quality of the film or whether it's good or anything like that, but do you feel like this is a movie that you would want to watch at home? Or do you feel like this is a movie that's just made for you to maybe go back and see in the theater again? And I, I don't know. How do you feel about that? I think that it it is primarily made for the theater, which is kind of unfortunate. It's like it, it's it's saying two different things at the same time. One, that it's visually beautiful, but also that maybe it was made so grandiose that you feel like it's not as good if you're seeing it at home on a smaller screen that's not 3D. Yeah, I mean, I'm so I'm thinking about this and I'm just thinking to myself, you know, I really enjoyed watching this film in 3D and the effects and like, but I'm thinking to myself also, would this movie have the same impact at home without all of that? Mm-hmm. You know, w- without being able to feel immersed in the underwater uh, scenes and, you know, just, uh, yeah, I I don't know. Um, and I think, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing to be making movies that are meant to be seen on the biggest screen you can possibly see them on and fully immerse you. I mean, like that special that you know like there's uh, yeah but also it's not going to be in theaters forever that's the thing it it's finite so it also has to be good at home (laughs) yeah well and that's the thing is that i get uh, i guess i I'm, i'm struggling with for myself like would i ever want to go back and watch this at home uh because it wouldn't have that aspect so i don't know um, so one last thing uh, before we get to the ratings, uh, which, you know, the music was a big part of the first movie. We had James Horner do the, f- the music for that film. Unfortunately, he had passed away. And so there was no way that he could do this film, especially with the 13 years. Uh, and so Simon Franklin, uh, comes in to do the music here. He had actually worked with Horner and Cameron before and, how did you feel like he did uh, with, with the music? Did it work for you? Do you feel like it 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 felt like the original film? Uh, was it, you know, uh, better or worse? What did you think? Um, I thought it worked with the original music, but it didn't stand out to me. Um, I didn't really have any themes that were super memorable. Um, I'm trying to think even if I picked up on something that was specifically, you know, like we get used to with Star Wars, there's like Ray's theme, Luke's theme, Leia's theme. Here, I don't feel like there's a differentiation of themes for each character in that sense. Um, but I think that overall it works for the film. It fits. But I, I wanted a little bit more uniqueness in that sense. Yeah, I think that the music here is good. I think that it, it utilizes the theme that Horner had created. Um, there was the moment I felt like Lowak is with his Tulkan, and I felt like there was a scene there where the, 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 the music was really beautiful. But I think overall, 
it does a great job of giving you everything it needs to, but I do wish that there had been things that stood out just a little bit more. Like I, I would have loved to feel like there was uh, even a slightly different sound for the reef people in a way that kind of stood apart from everything we'd experienced in the forest. You know, I, I didn't get that. And maybe, maybe I would if I, I probably one of the things in, in, and we've talked about many times already is that there's so much happening in this film that I think the best part that I could say about the music is it does everything it needs to do for the movie without detracting from anything. And that there's right. so much else to focus on. It is more difficult to, to focus on that. And it's good that it's not standing out in a bad way. So that's great. I, maybe going back to listen to it again or see the movie again that, you know, it, it might have a different impact. So, yeah, that I, I just it, just from what we're talking about, though, I almost wish and I do wish that there had been something to where when they went to the reef for the first time, I really did feel uh, that that difference um, in sound. I think that mm-hmm. would have been really nice. So, um, so Christy, one last question that I did ha- I do have for you before we get to our ratings, and this is I didn't put this on the outline, but it was something that I've been thinking about uh, throughout the uh, the entire conversation we've had. I've also thought about this after we uh, I saw the film. Do you feel like the movie could have been shorter and a little bit tighter in its edit? Yes. That that's the one other thing that I wanted to add that I was going to put in my rating of the movie is just it feels in some places like it's long just to say it's over three hours long. That he just wants it to feel more epic for being lengthy than anything else than than an actual need to be lengthy. And it's over three hours long and still doesn't answer some of those questions that we felt like were more essential to the, the plot. So. I do feel like, for example, some scenes where they're learning how to swim with the reef people were too extended. There could have been more editing done there and cut it down. So, yeah, ultimately, I think there were definitely scenes that were extended too far to possibly make it hit this time mark that he wants rather than by necessity. Yeah, I, so I don't know if it's if it's him just wanting it to be three hours, but I, I do mm-hmm. feel as though, you know, one of the things that Lucas was very cognizant of, of when he was doing, especially the, the, the Star Wars films, he was very cognizant of the idea of length, and he was very, very harsh in his edit. He was always trying to get the tightest edit possible. And there are even some places where, you know, John Mills and I have talked about this on aggressive negotiations of ideas of where we almost wish he could have he would have added some of those deleted scenes back in because we feel like they were great choices. But he was just a very hard. He's a very harsh editor. And he's always again, he's looking for the tightest, most cohesive edit he can create. And I do think that in all honesty, I'm I think that this film suffers a little bit from we can do a thing and therefore we are going to indulge in it a little bit more than needs to be indulged, like the underwater sequences and all of that, which I didn't really have any problem with in the sense that they were there and I thought they were beautiful. And again, it's completely immersive in the IMAX 3D. But I think that there could have been choices to which you're more judicious in the edit 
to allow for, as you mentioned, some of those places to have more answers, more narrative structure in the sense of of, of answering some of the questions that the movie has raised. Uh, Mm -hmm. And again, being more judicious in the edit that allows for some of those things to happen um, instead of maybe sometimes spending time on just the visual beauty. Now, on the opposite side of that, there is also a part of me that realizes that that's one of the things that sets this movie apart, though, in the sense that we are indulging in those things because it 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 sets this movie apart from other films. Mm-hmm. It is so immersive with the 3D. It is giving you a reason to almost want to come back to the theater because you want to continue to spend time uh, just, uh, again, I keep saying it, but I can't think of it any other word, immersed in the world. And so mm-hmm. it's, you know... um. I, I think it would have personally been better to to have uh, a a little bit tighter edit, one that allowed for some of those questions to be answered that we had. But I can also see, play devil's advocate and see the the reason for the other side. So it's to me, it's a I would say a detriment to the film, but I can also see how it's a positive for the film. So, and Mm -hmm. for other people, it may be more of a positive, which leads me to a place where I think it's time to rate this, Christy, and I can't wait to see where you are because I feel like for the most part, we've said mostly good things about this movie, which is very different from our review of the first film. So where do you come down with Avatar, The Way of Water? So ultimately with this one, I really felt that it, Felt familiar enough to the first film, but also improved on some issues we had previously where the first one lacked. So I do rate it higher than I did the first film, which is kind of funny because in general, I don't usually like sequels. I'm very particular about that. Um, But this surprised me. And I think they paid some special attention to, again, making it a really beautiful world to look at really taking the care about how it was filmed, where the technology used, and taking years of extra time to make all of those things right. Um, so I I really, you know, I do want to add that I think you have to be careful in general with your timestamp on a movie because audiences just gut reaction to hearing it's a three-hour movie are going to go, ooh, that's a a real investment. (laughs) Three hours is very long. I don't know that I want to sit in the theater that long. But some people do. Um, Some people, it still piques their curiosity. And um, so we'll see how it goes with the performance overall of the box office here. Um, But I think that overall, I still rate it highly. And I would give it a four out of five butterfly fish that give you air underwater nice because that was cool um because there are some really fun things here and like i said some areas where they improve on the story give you more to be interested in and even though there are some unanswered questions or things that could have been handled better it still feels more good than bad so i came into this movie 
and started the conversation where we did on purpose because I was very skeptical. I could not have been more skeptical about a movie. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, I feel like it has been a long time since I've been this skeptical coming into a film. And other than, you know, some of the, the Marvel movies that we've gone into, I, I mean, the only movie I m- might have been more skeptical with was The Eternals. Uh, and we know how that turned out. Mm-hmm. So this movie, though, it it very much surprised me. And I heartily agree with uh, what everything you said in the, in the way in which I think this movie, I think Cameron did take a lot of the criticisms that he got of the first film. And I think he worked diligently to overcome a lot of them and i think that the storyline is is not gonna blow your socks off right it's still kind of a basic storyline but i think it's better here Uh, i think the character work is better here the character building is better here there's still some clunky dialogue that's a very much a problem cameron has he's not a great dialogue writer uh you know i think in many ways uh, he could be dinged in the same way that a lot of people would ding you know george lucas and disliked his dialogue uh, in the star wars films i think cameron still has that issue but i think he he definitely went more in depth with the characters i think he did a great job especially with with uh jake sully by giving him even more heart here uh, and like you mentioned, when we were talking about the idea of fatherhood, how he took this character to a new place and how he changed who the character was because of him being a father now. So I think all of that is phenomenal and really well done. And I just... The experience of the film in the theater, in 3D, in IMAX was impressive and i I mean i went to this movie on a thursday night showing at 7 30 which means the movie didn't actually really start till eight because of all the previews Uh it was completely sold out wow i've not seen a theater like that and everybody around me I'm just hearing oohs and ahs and <gasps> and you know like all the things that you want to hear in a theater if you're a filmmaker of people responding to your movie in the way that you hope that they would. And in all honesty, uh my wife and I for Christmas we're traveling to Dallas and they've got some great theaters there. I actually kind of want to see this in the movie theater again because I feel like that's where it's meant to be seen. And I would like to see it on one of the best screens in the country because Mm -hmm. of that. So I might actually just go to the movie theater again um, just to see this. And I'm shocked that I'm saying that. So I'm 100% with you. I give this four out of five Tulkans. You know, I think I'm I'm impressed. And I can't believe I'm going to say this because I did not think this was going to be possible. I'm looking forward to Avatar 3 Mm. uh, to see where they go with this story. And uh, I know that Cameron talked about the idea. He had five movies in mind. They have, I think, shot the third one. And they have done it in a way that if this one doesn't do what they need to do box office wise, that they could make that the end. So it would be a trilogy, which is great. So I... I, 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 yeah, I'm excited. I really am. Uh, and I did not 
I honestly had no idea that was going to be possible. So, uh, yeah, you you did it, Cameron. You got me. You hooked me. So I'm <laughs> I'm excited uh, to see what comes next. But Christy, uh, this is our last show of the year. A uh, reminder, everybody, we are going to have our uh, special edition Patreon episode coming out here before the end of the year. So please support us on Patreon so you can get that episode. Uh, but this is the last official episode of the 602 Club for 2022. So if people do want to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on, especially as we're in the holiday season, where could they find you? You can find me and all of my Harry Potter, Star Wars content on Instagram and Twitter, of course, at Bespin Bell. Please come talk to me. I'm also in the Babel Conference on Facebook. And uh, when I wasn't here on the 602 Club, I also had a finished show I did with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabres and Spells. So you can find that on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. But what about you? Well, of course, uh, you could find me here on the 602 Club with John Mills as we uh, also got Assembling Avengers and Snyder Cuts, which, you know, Snyder Cuts is going to be uh, hopping again as Rebel Moon will be coming out next year from Zack Snyder. And we're continuing our walk through phase four of Assembling Avengers. You can also find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero. Here on the network doing literary tracks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, The Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard, and Saddle Up about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which excited to have Picard and Strange New Worlds back next year. Uh, and of course, you know, wrapping up Star Trek Picard as season three is the finale. You can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network with two shows. One is a completed show talked all about every single chapter of Harry Potter series one chapter at a time on Owl Post with Drea Kaufman and then the great John Mills and I talk about Star Wars each and every week on aggressive negotiations but as always thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear <laughs>